Reconstructionist Radio presents a War Room production, setting the record straight, with Pastor Gordon Runyon and friends, as they seek to dissect and understand many of the theological issues within American evangelicalism today, both in the pulpit and the pew. Welcome to this edition of Setting the Record Straight podcast. This is an interactive program and you are encouraged to send in your own questions related to the topics of postmillennialism, theonomy, Calvinism, and presuppositionalism. You can do this on Facebook by finding the Reconstructionist Radio page or by messaging our speaker, Gordon Runyon, directly. Gordon is the pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tucumcari, New Mexico, He has been a Christian Reconstructionist for 25 years. He's the author of several books, including Resistance to Tyrants, Romans 13, and the Christian Duty to Oppose Wicked Rulers, and a recent young adult fantasy novel called The Groaning Man. These and other titles are available at Amazon.com. My name is Joyce Runyon, and we have some interesting topics on today's program. So without further ado, here is our teacher and my husband of 30 years. Gordon Runyon. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Someday I'll have that memorized. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what do you think of our uh, intro music? Have you heard that? It's uh, resounding is what I hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, we picked that because it's very intimidating sounding, just like me. So, <laughs> Unlike the host. <laughs> <laughs> right. We thought that was very appropriate then. It all fits that way. Well, we should get right to it then. We don't have any any daughters with us today. Had to yeah. take the one back to college. So, just you and me, Mama. All right. Well, we'll have them showing up in later episodes, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll so. We'll rope one of the three into <laughs> it. So. Right. Um, I did have a question Okay. And I think you mentioned this in the first podcast, and it's a phrase that you use and people at our church would probably be familiar with. They'd say, oh, yes, I've heard that before. But it's it's something you say that um, maybe you can expand on a little bit. And it's the quote is, <laughs> all the word for all of life. What do you mean? Right. I do say that a lot. Uh I'd, I'd put it as a motto of our church if I could. I, I'd try to sneak it into as many sermons as possible. All the word for all of life. And uh, I just mean by that what uh, Professor Van Til meant when he said that the Bible is authoritative about everything it addresses. Mm-hmm. And it addresses everything. And, yeah. uh, and so for me, I think that the... The Great Commission, if we boil that down, it's about taking dominion over the earth and discipling the nations and and bringing everything into obedience to Christ. I think that's what it's talking about. How are you going to obey Christ? Well, you're going to have to obey His Word. And and then when Jesus taught the disciples to pray and, and and the phrase comes around, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh... I think we focus sometimes on the fact that God's will in heaven is surely done just as soon as he yeah. as he gives the he order. Speaks the word and then yeah. it happens. 
and but and that I'm convinced that's true, but his word is done throughout heaven mm-hmm. in that with that alacrity and and, and so <clears throat> it's not just that we're seeking his will to be done on earth, but in all the earth and all of his will to be done. And uh, uh, my friend Bojidar Marinov uh, has put it in terms of seeing your personal place in the plan of God and in the kingdom of God. And uh, the metaphor he uses is referring back to the Garden of Eden. It would be, uh, your job is to find your little corner of the garden that God wants you to beautify and cultivate. Mm-hmm. And what would that look like for you to to accomplish that? And so for me, uh, I sum it up with all the word to all of life. That means we apply the Bible to the way we do our jobs, the way we uh, make our households and, and raise our kids and and uh, the art that we create and the uh, politics that we mm-hmm. pursue. And so uh, there, I guess the negative way of saying it is I don't believe there's any area of our life that can be separated from God. And again, my current hobby horse is that... Uh, I'm at war with the concept of a divide between that which is secular and that which is sacred. I think that just causes so much trouble in the church. It's all sacred. It all belongs to God. I was just going to (laughs) say. Yeah, right. And so uh, that's what I mean. All the word to all of life. That's what we're trying to do. Well, it seems, too, that some Christians want to carp compartmentalize what they believe and I can believe these things and it can relate to when I am with church people or I am in church and then I can embrace these things and actively pursue them and practice them but once I get to my job I can't do those things you know I'm kind of bound I'm not able to uh, share the gospel I'm not (laughs) able to walk like Jesus would have me walk because you know that's secular that's the workplace (laughs) and uh that's just not the case (laughs) right shouldn't be right and the big place that you see compartmentalized now in our nation is with regard to selecting a president Mm. and and the shocking thing (laughs) is how many how many christians have decided that it's okay to vote for a leader who has none of the moral qualities or capabilities or values that the Bible specifies we need to look for in our leaders. Yeah. And you'll <clears throat> so you'll hear Christians say, well, I can vote for this guy because I'm not voting for a pastor, I'm voting for a president. As if God who appoints pastors has no caring one way or the other about presidents. Yeah. <clears throat> and so again, it's that secular and sacred divide that is really just killing us. I think we need to get rid of that. So, good question. I also think that um, your phrase also has application purposes. You know, it's not just a a nice story that should make me feel good or encourage me. (laughs) But that really, and another thing you say is that what you believe always tends to run out of your hands and your bound. <laughs> so right, so right. the things that are inside of you are going to find a way out. Yeah. And um, it's, right. it's like that with, with the Bible, with the Word, that 
those things should be in your heart and that's how you should live just because that's what's there. Yeah, whatever in your, is in your heart isn't going to stay there. And the phrase I like from Doug Wilson is that what's in your heart eventually finds its way out your fingertips. And uh, Yeah, I've stolen that from him. I use that all the time. <laughs> <clears throat> but it's it's true because you'll you'll see people some people in churches who are one way on yeah, Sunday yeah. and then who are they the rest of the <laughs> right. time That's right. You know they are no different than um heathens. <laughs> it's just it's Well actually they're better. They're the heathens are better because yeah. the heathens aren't trying to fool yeah. anybody. They're and, not putting and, on uh, a mask yeah, and pretending right. to be somebody else. And that's why Heathens don't care about it to go to church and see what's going on there yeah. because they recognize that sort of hypocrisy yeah. for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's all related. It really is. Okay, you ready to move on? All right, let's move on. <clears throat> all right, I wanted to talk for a moment about a thing that crossed into my Facebook feed. Now, my wife lives in the 20th century before there was such a thing as Facebook, and she, uh, <clears throat> so she doesn't know how Facebook works. Right. <laughs> She's impervious to all the begging and all of that. And so, uh, to explain for her benefit, on Facebook, you get these news feeds, and it's generally whatever your friends post. It's kind of like you might find on Pinterest. Mm -hmm. She likes Pinterest. She doesn't <laughs> like Facebook. And, uh... But so Facebook will analyze the things that you talk about and the things that you, the posts that you do respond to, mm -hmm. and it will kind of search around for other ones that it thinks that you will like. So are these people automatically your <coughs> friend, oh, no. or they're just strangers that no, yeah, have similar just, interests? <laughs> right. Okay. And a lot of them, a lot of these things are sponsored ads, and mm. so they're trying to make money that way by targeting you with things they think you'll like. So anyway, the other day I, I had a suggested thing on my Facebook feed, and it's from a Christian apologist named Frank Turek, and I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with his name. He's not probably one of the more famous apologists like Ravi Zacharias or somebody like that, but <clears throat> but he does have his own organization. I guess it's called Cross Examined, and I don't really follow his ministry. I'm aware of him, but... I don't know very much about him, but <clears throat> it was interesting. His Facebook post, post just said this, and I'm just going to read it verbatim. It says, is atheist Professor Dawkins right when he says that, quote, the reason we know for certain we are all related, including bacteria, is the universality of the genetic code and other biochemical fundamentals. That's the question. Is Dawkins right to say that? Is Dawkins right to make the claim that the way we know for certain that all life on the planet, including mold and trees yeah. and you and me, Bacteria. that yeah, that we're all the same because, or we all have a common ancestor somewhere because all the DNA is basically DNA. And uh, so is he right to say that? Now, the interesting thing is, I didn't I didn't immediately go and read what Frank said trying to answer that himself. Mm -hmm. But I read the comments that people had left and it was it was amazing if you read it. It was all comments trying to say things like 
hey, you go into a library and all these books have the same 26 letters just arranged differently. And that doesn't mean that one author wrote all the books. It just means that this is the language and this is how you say things in the language. That's your code. Right. And so there were a lot of things like that. But every, every answer that I saw was providing an argument against Dawkins's interpretation of the of the Facts. DNA evidence. And I just want to point out that I think there's a better way to argue. If you were to ask me the question, is Professor Dawkins right when he says, the reason we know for certain, I'd stop you right there. And I'd say, <laughs> no, you're not right. <clears throat> and why? Because Professor Dawkins, as a materialistic naturalist, cannot be certain about anything. So if you're asking me the question, is he right when he says, I know we're certain about this? No, you're not certain about anything. I don't Why care. I don't care what your what your What's after supposed that? evidence is. Yeah. Well, why is that? And that's because uh, given atheism and given naturalistic materialism, there's no there's no philosophical reason why the atheist should trust the mechanisms and the processes going on in his own brain. Because according to their, their theology, or lack thereof, according to their philosophy of life, the only reason their brain exists mm-hmm. is for the purpose of keeping them alive long enough to procreate. And that's, oh. that's all the brain is for. Yeah. So... It's an unwarranted assumption to believe that your brain, which evolved for this with this task in mind, why would you trust your brain to be able to tell you some kind of uh, truth. ultimate truth yeah. or, or anything like that? So any time, basically, that an atheist makes a overarching truth claim, mm-hmm. the Christian biblical response is not to argue with them about the evidence or about what the specifics of his truth claim are, the the biblical response is to say, you don't get to make a truth claim because your worldview There's can't no account for truth. Uh, C.S. Lewis had a quote where he said that, if I try to use rational thought to disprove the existence of God, then the task is similar to throwing a gallon of milk on the floor and expecting it's going to kind of magically fall out into a map of London. You know, it's just, that's not what your brain was designed for. And and there's no reason to assume. The thing about Dawkins, I read his book, The God Delusion, and uh, one of his criticisms of intelligent design was, what he would say is, well, it's just naive to go up to something in nature and say, look, I see design, so that must imply a designer. Mm-hmm. Well, why does Dawkins think that's wrong? Because he goes to a lot of lengths in the book to show how susceptible human perception or observation is to being tricked. And, you know, the thing I thought <laughs> of was... Uh, you know those crazy 3D paintings where you flip it one way and yeah, and you have to or remember from from uh, Seinfeld when Kramer had that weird painting where you have to make your eyes go unfocused in order to <laughs> see, see the, picture, the yeah. picture. Well, if you if you're not able to do that, those things were all the rage what 20 years ago or something. Those weird paintings, yeah, and 
but if you're not able to unfocus your eyes every time you look at it, you're not going to see what it's trying to show you, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. uh, and so that's Dawkins's argument. Our, our senses, our ability to perceive rightly what we're seeing, all those things can be so easily fooled that, uh, to say this looks designed to me, therefore there must be a designer. Well, he sees that as foolish. And that whole that whole train of thought, then how can you have science? Well, exactly. How can you have laws? That's exactly it. How can you know anything? Right. So what Daka? What's Dawkins's answer? Well, his answer is observational science, <laughs> where we. Well, there's a loop there, sir. <laughs> <laughs> what? Where we're running these experiments and and we're observing with our Powers of perception. And uh, so the scientists can't even account for observational science. Why should the evolutionary, materialistic, naturalistic scientist put any trust in their perception of things and their ability to observe? Well, they can't. That's what it amounts to. And so uh, they have to borrow from a Christian worldview. As Dr. Bonson always used to say, you have to borrow from my worldview in, in order to argue against it. Yeah. <clears throat> if you're going to tell me that Christianity is not true and evolution is true, that assumes that there's a standard of truth that you compare them both to. How do you know what's true? And then, you know what happens? The atheist to you ask him, what's your definition of truth? And the common definition I've seen on the internet mm-hmm. is, well, truth is what corresponds to reality. Now, do you note the... (laughs) What? (laughs) (laughs) Right. I can tell by your astute answer that you recognize the uh, bait and switch that just happened there. Yeah. How do you know what reality is in order to compare it with truth? And so uh, the atheist is stuck there. There's really no no answer. And so uh, now later on, I did listen to Frank Turek's answer. And toward the end of a five-minute presentation, he did point out that the issue with Professor Dawkins is not evidence-based. It's Mm presupposition-based. And Dawkins, I don't know if he's uh, just so confident or if he just hasn't thought this through, but he's willing to just say, I begin with a naturalistic presupposition that there must be naturalistic answers to everything. And so... Any evidence that you give him, he's going to assume naturalism, and mm. he's going to interpret based on that. Your worldview affects how you absolutely, look at absolutely. Yeah. And so he has no interest in just following the evidence where it leads. You know, he's got evidence in. He's, he's got gonna, an interest in confirming. Going to twist his own, it to fit into what you think. Yeah, you confirming yeah. his own worldview. That's yeah. right. That's right. Now we all see that, and that's easy to say when we see this arrogant atheist scientist say those things. But, you know, that's true of the average unbeliever on the street mm-hmm. just dealing with Scripture. You know, we think that uh, or we tend to believe that maybe there's such a thing as a neutral unbeliever out there who's going to you can present the gospel to them and and give them your best shot at why they should believe it. And uh, and that, well, maybe he's a good guy. He's he's a rational thinker. He'll think about these things objectively. No, he's not. No. The Bible says that men are in darkness and that that darkness hates the light. And those who do the evil deeds, they don't want to come to the light. And and so 
it really is a an issue of your pre-existing uh, loves and hatreds and all of that. And so I think that's important to keep in mind. You'll spend all day with an atheist just trying to argue evidence with them. Yeah, and get nowhere. Right, that's right. Because there's not going to be anything that fulfills <laughs> or meets their criteria for a... Yeah. Yeah. What truth is? What's knowledge? You and in know, fact, I just saw a survey where a guy interviewed a bunch of atheists. And the question was, if I could prove to your satisfaction that the God of the Bible exists, would you worship him? Uniformly, the answer is no. And why? Because they don't like his morality and yeah. they don't like the... Well, that's in yeah. Romans, you know. They know yeah, and they suppress it because yeah, they right. don't want to... They don't want to have to live by somebody else's right. rules. Right. Romans one eighteen and following, they're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. It's not that they don't know. It's that they hate what they know. Yeah. They yeah. don't want to admit it. Exactly. exactly. So, but uh, I think a lot of the problems within that is that for Christians, this is couched as science. Oh, yeah. You know, science is something that we can't refute. It's... Yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of silly <laughs> because as far as evolution goes, they call it a theory. They even call it a theory. They want, they'd like to make it be a law, but we have laws in science and they're <laughs> called laws and evolution is a theory. I was uh, speaking with one of my coworkers today and he was talking about, I believe it was GMOs. He come back from a oh, conference yeah. and he was saying, you know, but once they've done that, the seed after that is just seed producing after its own kind and he told me that and i said that's it man <laughs> that's exactly what it is things produce after its own kind and he was yeah. looking at me like are you crazy <laughs> and i was like no an apple tree is always going to be an apple tree it's not going to turn yeah. into a lemon tree you you have a dog it's going to have a dog and it's not going to have a hippopotamus or an alligator or a piece of slimy bacteria floating on the water yeah, yeah, and he was saying, right. well, you know, Joyce, but if you give it enough time. <laughs> and I said, are you serious? So you have a mess in your room and you give it enough time. What's going to happen to it? Those are laws. Things get worse, not better. Most mutations that occur, even in people, they're, we call them cancer. You know, I'm sorry. Mutations are normally bad and result in yeah. death. Yeah, and just, you know, he was just looking at me like, "You've thought about this a long time." And I told him, "I'm just really tired of people hearing those things and just taking it hook, line, and sinker, and not yeah, thinking about it." Thinking about it. Yeah, yeah that's right. <clears throat> well, and the and the scientists absolutely push that. That's what they want is yeah. for you to just shut up and and, say, and okay. accept what they tell you. That's right. Logically, that's called the the uh, argument from authority and. Uh, it's considered a fallacy, and it is, of course. You can't. You're not right just because of who it was that said it and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Well, very good. Uh, let's see. I don't know if we have time. Uh, let's see. I wanted to really fast. Let me mention another thing that I found on the internet. There was a recent conference. It was called Founders Conference. It doesn't have anything to do with the Founders Ministry in the Southern Baptist Convention, which I kind of thought it might, and that's why I started listening to it. And it turned out it was uh, something that uh, founders in the SBC would be against. And uh, 
there was one particular sermon. I guess in this conference, what they did is they went through each session, took one chapter of the book of Romans and, and basically tried to explain it. Now, when they came to Romans chapter 9, uh, they ran into some real issues because this was an Arminian church and your typical Baptist church. And and frankly, you could hear they had the whole church service before the sermon was given. They recorded the whole thing. And, uh, and everybody that got up to talk about it was joking around about, well, brother... Brother Shane's got a tough job coming up here. I'm glad I'm not the one giving this thing on Romans 9. I'm glad nobody asked me to do it. Yeah. And you can tell they have fear and trembling about having to explain what Romans 9 says. And why? Because they don't believe what Romans 9 says. And, oh, and the, Yeah, and the <laughs> issue becomes, how do you get around that? And I just want to point out uh, what, his, what his tact was. Pastor Shane Lewis was his name, in the, and you can find the sermon under the title, Difficult Questions. Not Romans 9 Explained or <laughs> Romans 9 Exposited. It's, it's difficult questions. They knew they were difficult. And, and the other thing, you feel sorry for the guy as soon as he starts preaching. He's like, you know, this is just my opinion. This is really tough stuff we're doing, and... If you want to argue with me about it later, that'd be fine. And you don't start a sermon like that, you know, because yeah. everybody says, what's oh, your deal? You why know? am I listening to you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Maybe that's just me. <laughs> no, that's, that's the way it is. And so uh, let me turn to Romans 9 and I'll, I'll tell you the unique way that he approached it. He didn't come up with it. I know the guy. I know who the guy is that did, but... Uh, it's a strange thing. If you've got your Bibles with you, you might want to follow me to Romans in chapter 9. Romans in 9. So, Armenianism? Is uh, just from Armenia? <laughs> no, not Armenians. <laughs> right. Uh, well, and, and that's kind of a... That's an imprecise word. They were probably actually semi-Pelagians. But uh, what we mean is just anybody that believes that God kind of cooperates with the sinner in order to get the sinner saved. Uh, the Bible doesn't teach that. It teaches what we call monergism. Uh, mono, meaning singular or one, and uh, like the word for ergonomics the study of work, monergism, we believe there's one worker in salvation, and it's God. Mm -hmm. And why do we believe that? Because, well, places like Romans chapter 9 make that really clear. So uh, the tact of this guy, Pastor Lewis, was to say that Romans 9 shifts from talking about the gospel and how people get saved which, by the way, is the entire context of the book of Romans up until now. That's the only thing that the apostles have been talking about. Mm -hmm. But his belief is that once we get to verse 4 of Romans chapter 9, the whole context shifts, the whole subject shifts. And verse 4 says, uh, Who are Israelites to whom belongs the adoption as sons and the glory and the covenants? And the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises. He's talking about his own kinsmen, the Jews. Mm -hmm. Well, so Pastor Lewis speculates that when it talks about uh, the Jews having received the promises, that uh, we're supposed to insert the word scripture there. They had the scripture. 
Okay, and it does say something like that. Way back in chapter 3, there's one verse that says that to the Jews were uh, granted the the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Pastor Lewis is of the opinion that what this is all about, everything that follows in Romans 9 is all about the Jews as a nation being given the special call to propagate the scripture to the rest of the world. And so he would suggest that when Romans 9 talks about God choosing uh, choosing Jacob over Esau and choosing to harden Pharaoh, for instance, mm-hmm. that he's really just talking about that that mission, what uh, Pastor Lewis called the, a noble, the noble cause. Uh, yeah, that was it. The noble cause. Okay. <laughs> the noble purpose of the Jews is disseminating the scripture. And uh, that really... <laughs> it really boggles the mind when you think about how you're supposed to do Bible study. Mm-hmm. You know, context really does determine meaning. It should. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so what do you have in Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3? You're shutting up all men, Jews and Gentiles, under sin. Mm-hmm. Chapter 4 then talks about the imputation of Christ's righteousness by faith alone. Yeah. Chapter 5 and chapter 6 talk about what it what it means now to be justified by faith, to be in Christ and not in Adam, to be set free from the slavery of the law. Yeah. Chapter 7 goes into more of that, how we serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. And chapter 8 is that great chapter about <laughs> there is therefore now no condemnation right. for those who are in Christ. And it ends with that declaration that... Uh, I am convinced that neither height nor depth nor, mm-hmm. you know, and goes through that list, that glorious list of things yeah. that shall not separate us from the love of Christ. And now, suddenly, <laughs> suddenly we're talking about how certain Jews missed out on the opportunity to help share the scripture with the world. They missed their noble calling. Well, after this, yeah. then at the end of chapter 9... Uh, Paul says, he sums up his argument at verse 30 and says, What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. And why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. So, obviously, that's not about salvation at all. That's about the noble cause of, <laughs> of transporting the, the Scripture to the rest of the world. And, and verse 10, is or chapter 10, is all about how shall they believe if they don't hear, and mm-hmm. how shall they hear if, they, if nobody's preaching. And, and uh, so this idea that there's this giant break in what Paul is arguing about, and then it has to do with something that's, Frankly, ridiculous. In, in chapter 9, when he says that that Jacob is chosen and not Esau, chosen to this noble cause to be able to participate in the preservation and dissemination of the scriptures, mm-hmm. Joseph, or I mean, uh, Jacob, who was chosen, he was chosen hundreds of years before there were any scriptures at all. That's true. You know, Moses didn't come along until the end of the Exodus. Yeah. Or or the scripture wasn't given to Moses till the end of the Exodus. And and uh so what was Jacob then preserving? He wasn't preserving scripture. And so when it says they had the promises, what's that mean? It means they actually heard the promises. They received them from the mouth of God. And uh so they had those promises. And uh so 
the only thing that I bring that up for is just the fact that uh, it's amazing the lengths people will go to to simply not have to listen to what the Bible tells them. And uh, yeah. And you and I used to be in the same place. You know, you and I struggled a lot with Romans chapter 9. And, and <laughs> uh, it bothered us to what no end. What does this mean? How can this be possible? <laughs> right. I was part of this. <laughs> right. And being all mad because it didn't, Romans 9 didn't say what I thought it should say and all of that. And uh, But then in that too, I think there's a lot of freedom that, you know, this isn't about what I've done. It's not, I certainly don't deserve it. And if I haven't done it, then I can't lose it either. It's it really is a gift, right? If it your really salvation is, is not dependent on what you did, because all I've all I've done was wrong and bad, <laughs> right? Right. And the thing that plagued me when I used to believe that way is I came to the conclusion that if my salvation is based on point zero zero one percent, you know, if if me going to heaven, if Point zero zero one percent of that is based on my own ability to do the right thing at the right time. Man, I can screw that up. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> <laughs> I've known that, you for brother. 30 years. <laughs> I've known you longer. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so, uh, yeah, and what is that? I'm convinced it's the remainders of sin in us. And you find even Christians who, who hate that message. Of the sovereignty of God and salvation. And, and some uh, of that, I mean, it just boils down to pride. That, you know, oh, absolutely. I'm, yeah. I'm, I can do this. Right. I got this. <laughs> no. Right. Uh, I'll tell you what you got. <laughs> <laughs> filthy rags, buddy. That's what you got. Yeah, you got filthy rags. That's right. All right. Well, we've gone a little bit long. It's been 30 minutes and changed since we heard the Japanese war <laughs> drums. <laughs> they're calling <laughs> right so we want to say thanks for joining us on the podcast setting the record straight we want to give all glory and honor to god and encourage you out there listening to uh find your place in god's garden and how he wants you to beautify it for the sake of his glory we'll see you later brothers thank you for joining pastor gordon runyon and friends as they set the record straight. Visit us at reconstructionistradio.com to download your favorite audiobooks.